Welcome to Starkville Church of God. This is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you, strengthens you, and fills you with God's love so you can share with others. Enjoy the message. Matthew chapter 11. <laughs> Matthew chapter 11. Uh, we, start, we start here and we find in verse 28 that an invitation is given. Jesus said, come unto me. Everybody say, come unto me. Thank you. Y'all are waking back up now. You see, Christianity is the only religion where God seeks you. I'm glad today that Jesus Christ sought me out. If you are here today and you are a believer, how many of you would testify and say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. I serve him. If you are a believer here today, everyone that raised your hand, guess what? You didn't love him first. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. You know, we didn't go out seeking God first. He started out seeking us. He sought us when nobody else wanted us. He loved us when we were unlovable. He loved us with all of our flaws, all of our imperfections. He loved us when nobody else wanted to love us. Christianity is the only religion where God seeks you. I'm thankful even in the book of Revelation that we find the picture of Jesus as he says, what, I'm standing at the door doing what? knocking. I'm thankful today that Jesus Christ is still standing at the door knocking. He came by your house to find you. He came by my house to find me. Jesus Christ is the one who is seeking you. In fact, Scripture tells us that he came to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus here in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28 gives this invitation, this invitation, if you're taking notes, is twofold. The first d- dynamic of it is this. He's talking to the weary or those that live in the active life. He says to the weary, the active life, that is the normal, the tired, the tired of working, laboring. How many of you know back in the book of Genesis, everything was perfect in the garden. Adam and Eve, all they had to do was just chill out in the garden. Now, we do understand that they probably did care for the garden, but there were no thorns, there were no thistles, there was nothing that was going to devour the crop. They had things to do, but everything was easy until sin entered the world. And the Lord cursed man and woman and the snake. And he said to man, because of sin that has entered into the world, you're going to have to labor what by the sweat of your brow. Thorns and thistles started to sprout up. Work makes you tired. Work makes you weary. You see, he's speaking here. The invitation is to those that are tired of working, tired of laboring. You've had a hard week. You've had a hard year. As it gets hotter, if you work outside in this time of year, then you are no doubt feeling the wear on your body. He's speaking to you, to that normal tired, tired of working. But not only that, that weary invitation, the first fold also speaks to those tired of laboring legalistically in the law. You 
You see, he was speaking to those that had been trying to do it just on their own. They'd been trying to earn their way into heaven. They'd been trying to live good enough. They'd been trying to give enough. They'd been trying to do everything, every letter of the law, and trying to live good enough to be able to please God. He was speaking to those. He was also speaking thirdly in that first part of that twofold weary. He was speaking to the weary sinner. He was speaking to those that were standing around him that had never come to him before. Those that were burdened down with sin. Those that had been, been, been worn down by the weight of sin. And he was saying, come unto me. But the second part of that invitation, the first was the weary and the second is the burden. That is the passive life. He was speaking to those who were physically burdened, perhaps the aged he was speaking to. Now listen, I know when I get up, every time I get up and I talk to a different group of people, and in every group that you look at, there's always different people in the crowd. And I stand here 43, almost 44 years old, and as this past summer, I've been going back to youth camps that I've done since I was really, really young. Some of you look at me and say, oh, you're still young. Some of you look at me and say, you're an old man. Wherever you are in this place, I can tell you physically, I can tell the difference now than of when I used to go to camp and I used to be able to stay up and I used to be able to stay up till 2 and 3 in the morning and play in Rook till 2 or 3 in the morning and then get right back up at 6 and make the rec schedule and be out in the heat. I can tell a difference in the age and I can tell a difference in my body and a speaking here to not just that, but many of you that have passed me and you find that your body is changing. He's speaking to those that are physically burdened the age. You find you can't do what you used to can do. You find your body just doesn't recover like it used to, doesn't have the energy and the strength like you used to. Jesus is speaking to you that has been burdened by age. He is saying, come unto me, to the feeble. You know, there are some people I've been blessed so far in my life it could change tomorrow, but I've been blessed so far in my life to have good health in my body. I mean, once in a while I'll get sick or something, but I've been blessed with good health. But I also know that there are those in their life that they've been they've been burdened down with sickness. So many, there's so many that they have dealt even from young ages. They've dealt with physical uh, ailments. They've dealt with different diseases, and they're feeble. And Jesus was speaking to them when he said, come unto me. He was speaking to the suffering, those that were going through things, that were suffering. And he said, come unto me. Not only did it mean that, but that burden, passive life means the mental burden that so many carry around, the worry, sorrowful, depressed. Listen, I don't think it's a surprise. We've talked about this time and time again, but it hadn't gone away yet, so I'm going to keep talking about it. There are so many, there are so many even young people that are struggling with depression, being in youth camp this past month, seeing those that have struggled with suicidal thoughts, those young people that are struggling with anxiety, those young people. Listen, when I was a young person, I was just worried about eating some macaroni and cheese and drinking some Kool-Aid. And these young people today, they've got so much stress and so much anxiety, so many burdens on them. And the Lord Jesus was saying to those that are weighted down mentally, come unto me. Not only to that, but also under this burden, passive life, to the spiritual burden, those burdened with sin, 
And this was not to those who were still enjoying sin, but for those that are tired of the guilt and the pain of sin. You see, it's no secret. The Word tells us that there's pleasure in sin for a season. How many of you know the Bible says that? But the rest of that verse is the end thereof is destruction. You see, there are those that are enjoying living in it. There are some that they're enjoying the pleasure of sin for a season. They're enjoying what it brings. But Jesus here, when he's speaking to that burdened person, those burdened with sin, it's not talking about the person that's still enjoying it, but to those that are tired of the guilt and the pain of sin because after a while, it wears you down and it wears you out. After a while, you have to pay the piper. After a while, that guilt and the pain begins to set in, and Jesus is speaking to that person, that person that is so messed up. He's speaking there to the prostitute. He's speaking there to the drug addict. He's speaking there to the alcoholic. He's speaking there to, to the, the gay or the lesbian. He's speaking there to that person that has been so weighed down with sin, and he's saying, come unto me, and I will give you rest. In these verses that we have read here, there are two different times that that word rest is mentioned. And in this first time, in verse 28, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This first rest come, means this. It means I will rest you. I will rest you. What does that mean? It means this. Are you ready? This may get this may get a little bit too deep for somebody, but it means this justification. Anybody remember that term? It's in the Bible, justification. The easiest way to remember that is just as if I have never sinned. You see, well, the, what Jesus can do for you that is tired and is weary and you're tired of the weight of sin, he was calling and saying, come unto me, you that are tired of that life, you that are tired of that sin, you that are tired of that weight, come unto me and I will rest you. I will justify you through my blood. You see the justification through Christ? It's just as if you have never sinned. You see the books and the records of heaven are excellent. But you see what happens is when Jesus Christ comes and he rests you and he justifies you, the books are erased of your sin. The Bible said that your sin is as far as the East is from the West. Can I just remind somebody today that you've been weighed down by sin? Jesus said, come unto me and I will give you rest. I will forgive you. I will justify you in the eyes of the courts of heaven. It will be just as if you have never sinned at all. Give God praise if you're thankful for the rest of justification today. Then in verse 29, he says, take my yoke upon you. The first part, come unto me, meant faith. In the context of Matthew chapter 11, as Jesus is teaching there, it took faith for the passerby to the listener to see this Jesus this Jesus from Nazareth. They look at this guy, and some of them, reading the Bible, some of them sometimes would say, 
Ain't that Joseph the carpenter's son? You know, he looks just like, he, he's flesh and blood, just like me. He's from out there at Nazareth. Some even said, can any good thing come from Nazareth? And it took faith then for them to come when the invitation was given. For them to have faith when Jesus said, come unto me. It took faith to say, you know what, I see it with my physical eyes, I see a man. I see a man that was from Nazareth. I see a man who was a son of the carpenter as far as they knew. I see a man that had a mother named Mary. But somewhere deep inside my spirit, I feel like there's something else to this man. And I am willing, I am willing to accept the invitation from him. Today it takes a little bit different kind of faith. Because today, Jesus isn't standing here in the flesh, but we listen to his word. We listen to a preacher or a teacher or a, somebody witnessing to us, a friend or a loved one. And it takes faith for us then. It takes a measure of faith when the preacher or whoever it may be gives the invitation, reads from the words of Jesus and says, come unto me. Because we know physically Jesus isn't in these altars. We know physically that cross hanging up there, that's not the cross that Jesus hung on. It takes faith for us to believe that this invitation given by the Son of God almost 2,000 years ago is still available for us today. It takes faith for us to step out and say, yes, I will. Yes, I will come. Yes, I will receive and heed the invitation of Jesus Christ. I don't know where you were. I don't know what you were doing. For me, I was seven years old up in Houston, Mississippi at Parkway Baptist Church on a Sunday night, and the preacher gave an invitation. I'd sat through. I was a kid. I'd been in church for quite a while, and as a kid, I'd heard many of those, but on that specific on that specific Sunday night, something got a hold of me. And I heard the master saying to a little seven-year-old boy, come unto me. And out of faith, I had to step out. Actually, I stepped out. I told, got my mama's attention. We went outside, outside the building. I told her, I said, I feel like I need to go up there. And she said, if you feel like you need to go up there, you need to go up there. And so we came back in, and I went up to the altar that night and gave my heart to the Lord. I don't know when it was for you. There was a lot of hands that went up this morning. I don't know where you were. I don't know what you were doing. But at some point in your life, I pray that you heard the master say to you, come unto me. And it took faith for you to believe, to say, yes, I will. I will accept that invitation that you are giving to me. I want that invitation to come to you and accept your rest. That first took faith. The second part, take my yoke upon you references practical obedience. Uh-oh. You see, we like, we like the justification part. 
We like for him to rest us. We like for him to call us. We like the faith and all that. But when it says, take my yoke upon you, in other words, he's saying, I want you to take my will on you. I want you to take my discipline on your life. I want you, you've been living by code. You've been living by some sort of standards. But when he says, take my yoke upon you, he's saying, I want you to take my will and I want you to carry my will for your life. I want you to see what I've got to say. I've got a purpose for you. I've got a plan for you. I've got a way for you to live your life. I've even got a way for you to think. Be you transformed by the renewing of your mind? I've even got a different way for you to think about things. I need you to take my yoke upon you. James 2.17 says this, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Now, I'm not one of those, you're going to be saved by works preacher, but I am a preacher that believes that if you get saved, you're going to work. I'm going to say that one more time. I'm not a preacher that believes you're saved by works, but I believe that if you get saved, you're going to work for him. You're going to take his will. You're going to take his discipline. You're going to receive, yes, by faith, but that faith of coming to him, that faith of receiving that invitation is dead if you don't put it into action and take that yoke of his works, of his discipline on you. We see this is discipleship. And it should not be thought of as something that is grievous. He gives us the power to do it. And he changes our very motives if we will let him. So many times we think about discipleship. We think about doing what God wants in our life. And many times for many people, it means, oh, I'm not going to get to do all the things that I want to do. That's the way we painted it out, haven't we? Oh, what? You can't sleep around? You can't kill people. You can't abuse people. I mean, is that really the kind of stuff? Is that really going to benefit you anyway? You see, really, if you take it on, if you take his discipleship, not, it should not be thought of as grievous. It is the best way there is to live this life. Listen, I've told you this before. I'll tell you again. I've stood at the bedside of a lot of people. They either died while I was there or not long after, and I have never yet encountered one person that said, you know what, I wish I hadn't lived for God so much in my life. Not one time have I ever encountered anybody that looked back and reflected on their life and said, you know what, Pastor, I, I just wish I hadn't lived for God. I wish, and I, had been, I wish I had not been so on fire for God. Not one time have I ever done. I'm not going to even start on the list. And, you know, I've heard people say different things, but not one time have I ever heard anybody say, I wish that I would had lived for God less. When you stand there on the brink of eternity, on the brink of death, you find what is important in your life. Discipleship shouldn't be thought of as grievous because he gives us the power to do it. He's not even asking you to do something that he's not going to help you do. 
He'll help you. He'll teach you. He sent the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, the Paraclete, the one that walks along beside. He didn't ask us to do this thing on our own. He said, I'm asking you to do it, and as I ask you to do it, I'm going to give you somebody to help you do it. We see that one commentator said that Christ's yoke is padded with love and his burden is light. Even though, as I said, there is a part, there is a part of it that is a yoke. There is a part of it that keeps us going in a certain direction. Even though there is a part of it that keeps us within boundaries, yet his yoke is padded with love. Everything he asked me to do or not to do is all for my benefit. Everything God Almighty says, I don't want you to do that, or I do want you to do this, it is padded with love, and it's not out of a selfish motive. It's out of the fact that he knows everything he asks us to do and not to do is in our best benefit. St. Bernard said this. He said, it carries the man who carries it. In a normal yoke, an animal that would pull a burden, a plow or a cart with a yoke, that animal would have to carry it. But yet Jesus' yoke, if we choose to carry it, in all reality, it will carry us. Jesus said this. He said, take me, verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. I preached on this. I can't even remember exactly how long ago it was when I preached on the Beatitudes about Christ's life as an example and about this thing called meekness. How many of you remember that? Anybody remember me preaching about meekness? And it's a rhyme that's easy to remember. Meekness does not mean weakness. Now, if you were here, this is a little... How many of you weren't here? How many of you don't remember that? I'm going I'm to give you all some of that. But here's the difference in that. Most of the time, we think about, well, God wants me to be weak. And as a man, I think, well, I don't want to be a wimp. Come on, men. Listen, I know that may not be PC right now, but I, I'm a man. I don't want to be a wimp. I got a wife and two daughters. I got future son-in-laws that I need to put the fear of God in eventually. Yes. I don't want to be a wimp. But being meek, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. Meekness. Hmm. And I listen, if I, I don't care, this just this way my stupid brain works. Now I mentioned this. Meekness is this. I picture it like this. I picture Arnold Schwarzenegger as a terminator holding a little newborn baby. I mean, he had the power to crush it, kill it if he needed to. But, it, but being meek meant you had your strength, your power under control. Meekness doesn't mean that you're some wimp. Meekness doesn't mean that you don't have power. It means you have it under control. For some reason, even in the church, it seems like that we've painted this picture. Oh, well, you need to be strong, and you need to be tough, and you just need to be out of control. No. You need to be strong. 
You need to be a mighty man or a mighty woman of God. You need to have power, but you need to have it under control. Everything that you do, you need to be able to have it under control. You need to have your life under control. The Bible talks about that. You need to have it. You better have your tongue under control. Oh, that's going to get me in trouble there. I don't care. It's for the all forget it by next Sunday probably. You need to have your tongue under control. You need everything needs to, even the gifts. The Bible said that the gift is subject to the prophet. God tells us we have control. He gives us control. The only one that we answer to is the Lord, and we give him control. But meekness is not weakness. It is power under control. We find this, that he is patient with slow learners. Aren't you thankful for that? I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm a, I'm a slow learner. Sometimes, sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm smart, you know. Sometimes I feel like I can get things. You, you want me to, I just, this confession, it's almost, I've got plenty of time, and I'm almost done. I'm not going to use it all up with this. But I remember at Lee, I was taking New Testament Greek. Anybody ever studied any Greek in an official capacity at all? Mary Beth's the only one. Let me just tell you this. Sometimes when I've gone to, to, you know, Latin American countries, I've been to Argentina and I've been to Honduras and I've been to Nicaragua, you know, Spanish can, there's somewhat of a relation to English. Greek and English don't mesh at all. And as a college student, I remember I had a, I had a friend, Amy, and I was, I was trying to study and I had these flashcards. We were going over all these Greek words and I couldn't get them. And she's like, God, you're stupid. <laughs> And it's like, I felt that way. It's like, I just could not get it. I'm just going to be honest with y'all. The Greek that I said, I have to use commentaries. I have to study hard. I took a W in that class. I withdrew. I said, I give up. <laughs> but he's patient with slow learners. That's not the only time, but I think of that when I think about being a slow learner. How many of you ever been a slow learner before? And sometimes it seems like, will you not learn? Have you ever dealt with anybody and you've had to deal with somebody and you're like, will they never learn? But I'm thankful that Jesus Christ here in this is letting us know that he is patient with slow learners. He's patient with us. He's meek. He's lowly in heart. It's saying to us, I'm patient with you. I know you're not going to get it right all the time. I know sometimes you're going to mess up. I know you're not going to do everything right. But I'm meek and I'm lowly in heart and I understand and I have patience with you. He said this, and you shall find rest unto your souls. When you begin to doubt, I told you there were two different rests. The first one back in verse 28 and now this one in verse 29. And this word, if you study it, comes to this satisfaction when you live for God you'll have peace and rest now I know as driven people I know as people motivated people I know I say this a lot but it's just the culture that we're in I mean we're in this town we're in, we live in this town together we live next to this university. Everything you do, what? We want championships. We want, we're going to build it better. We're going to make it new. We're going to recruit, you know. 
And I just throw this in there. It looks the football is looking actually kind of promising with some of the recruiting that's going on, you know, and we do all of that. Because why? We want to win. We want to be on top. Because we remember 2014 when we were number one. We remember 2021 when we won the national championship in baseball. We remember that everything we do, and not only that in education, we want to be the best. We want to achieve. We want to get our bachelor's. We want to get our master's. We want to receive our PhD. We got all the, it's achieve, achieve, achieve. And so, and as Pentecostals, it's like, oh, we can't get too comfortable. We need more of God, more of God. And that's very true when it comes to having more of God. But also, we've got to learn something about being satisfied in the Lord. Because to have rest, sometimes we've got to just stop and say, Lord, I don't know what you've got for me tomorrow. But right here and right now is where you have me at today. And I thank you for that. I may not be where I want to be. I may not have arrived at the destination that I want to be at, but yet we've got to in some form. And listen, I'm, you, if you know me, you know I'm not telling you to just give up on any dreams or give up on any goals. But even in that, you have to learn to be satisfied in the Lord. To stop sometimes and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my daughters. Thank you for my parents. Thank you, even though I wasn't smart enough to get Greek. Thank you that I'm not a Ph.D. Thank you that I at least was smart enough to get a bachelor's degree. Thank you that even though, yeah, I wish, I wish we were running two services in the summer. You know, I wish that we were packed out two services. We were already breaking ground, building a building. But I have to stop and say, you know what? Thank you, Lord, that we got way more this time this summer than we had this time last summer. I have to stop and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Be satisfied. I will give you rest. means the Lord Jesus will have you at a place where you can say, you know what, Lord, I am thankful. Thankful for what I have. Whatever you want for me tomorrow, I'm ready for it. But I got to learn to be satisfied and thankful. That rest, instead of my mind constantly, constantly turning and wanting what's next. The book of Matthew chapter 6, verse 34 says this, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Thanks for listening to our podcast. To find out more about us, follow us on social media at StarkvilleCOG. Special thanks to those who generously support this ministry. If you would like to give, visit us at startvillecog.com forward slash give. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.